Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're going to help resolve one of the biggest barriers to great health, the essential nutrient of sleep. Yes, let's call it vitamin S. We need sleep to heal, repair, and feel great. And most of us aren't getting enough. We'll be covering what is the glymphatic system and its role in restorative sleep, understanding the root causes of poor sleep, how your morning routine could be affecting your sleep, the effects certain foods may be having on your sleep, when it may be time to turn to supplements and which ones are safe and which ones should be avoided. Some extra special sleep supportive recipes will also be included. Megan, Megan, get up. We have a podcast to record. Oh, sorry. I was still sleeping. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and for bearing with our bad theater. I'm Megan Telbner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, where we offer a 14-week certification program in culinary nutrition. Joining me, as always, is Josh Gatalis. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. I feel like you could have added to your bio and the best sleeper in the entire world. I am a pretty good sleeper. It's a gift I've been given. It is an incredible. You're like a superhero sleeper. It's amazing. Yeah. And often I'm actually witnessing it. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, sleep is truly one of the most important things of our health. If our sleep isn't optimized, nothing else in our lives will function or be enjoyed to the fullest, really. It's also one of the simplest things we can do for our health. And unfortunately, when we feel busy and our days seem full, sleep is the first thing to be compromised. When I was doing a little bit of digging into sleep, and this was not like late night on my phone, I was supposed to be sleeping. This was during the workday. But there is a crazy statistic that 8.6 million adults in the United States are per using prescription sleep medications, which is astounding. It's understandable, but it's astounding when this is something that is biologically programmed into human beings to need and be able to sleep. And it's essential for our health that so many people are unable to do it when really all you have to do to sleep is nothing. Right. And that's what's missing. That just reminded me of that book Finley has, The Gift of Nothing. Oh, it's such a great book. It's such a good book. But it's this idea that our, like we're so full, our lives are so full, our days are so full that we're unable to flick that switch, shut off and regenerate, which we need to do. Right. Sleep is so important for regeneration and has so many important roles to play for us. Like many of you, sleep has been, and when I say you, I'm not looking at Josh because he's the anomaly in the room. Sleep has been a lifelong challenge for me. Like from as a child, I hated sleepovers because I could never fall asleep. A summer camp, I was always the last kid in my cabin to get to sleep. I started using earplugs when I was 18 and traveling in Europe and staying in youth hostels because I couldn't sleep if there was noise or chatter or music playing. 
And it was highlighted when I had Finn. And there'd be nights where I'd feed him at 12 and he'd be up again at three. And I just wouldn't fall asleep between those feeding sessions. Do you know how you slept when you were a baby? Has your mother ever given you any information on that? I have no idea. And I bet she wouldn't remember either. Let's ask her. (laughs) We're going to ask her. Find out. And then recently, you know, Finn has been able to sleep through the night, but my habit for so long of waking up in the middle of the night to feed him or being on alert to hear for him has disrupted my sleep ongoing. And I'm just now finding methods to resolve and reset that rhythm. And it's working, which has been absolutely life-changing. Like you almost don't realize how exhausted you are because you learn to function in that state of being until you're actually getting sleep and you wake up and you're like, oh, I remember what it was like to feel like this, like this is good. And now as with anything you do, when you feel the benefit, you're like, I want more of this. And it inspires me to keep going with what I've been trying and what I've been doing. And I'll share a little bit more about that later on. But Josh, let's talk about sort of the the metabolic physiology around sleep. Yeah, well, let's first discuss quickly, what are some of the incredible benefits of sleep? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things it does is it clears free radicals from the body and the brain. And I'm going to dive into that in a little bit more detail in one moment. It repairs stress from the day. Like it releases, we release hormones when we're asleep that help our body to recover and repair from our day's activities. It's really important for memory, right? You know, they've done studies where people are sleep deprived and they can't retain information as well. So, you know, I remember back in university when I would just like cram and like those last few nights, I'd be, you know, staying up to all hours of the night, which is probably counterproductive in the long run anyway. Yeah. And it's not just for memory, but also creating those memories. And for me, this is so, and I'm sure for many, 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 many caregivers and mothers, like I barely remember the first year of Finley's life because I was so exhausted. And that's why I love that we have so many photos and videos because I can't, rem- I actually can't remember. And my my team at work also knows that like, I basically don't remember anything that happened in the first 18 months of Finn's life. Like they'll say like, do you remember why we did this or why this happened? And I have no memory of it. That's a really interesting observation. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure that time in people's lives, like mothers mostly, I mean, fathers are usually sleep deprived as well, sort of feel like it was a haze. There was a haze, but may not be able to articulate it and understand why it happened. Yeah. I almost feel, even at the time, I'd feel like a FOMO, a fear of missing out in the moment that I was actually in and living because I was so deeply exhausted that I couldn't fully enjoy it. Like I was present, I was there, but in the back of my mind, I just wanted to go to sleep. I know. I remember those moments. Yeah. I remember you saying it. It's hard. And I think that it's not often discussed and recognized. And so for the mamas out there, it's, we're all in it. It happens to all of us. So diving into a specific mechanism in our brain that gets activated at night, there's something called the glymphatic system. Glymphatic. Yeah. So like lymphatic, but with a G at the beginning. Exactly. And the lymphatic system, like in the whole body, we know is the garbage collection facility, right? So it, it collects all the different debris and things that we need to kind of break down and get rid of throughout the day. It's the same with the lymphatic system in the brain. And what is so fascinating is this was only discovered a number of years ago, like I believe in 2012. Oh, that recently. Yeah. Wow. That when you're in deep sleep, this system 
lights up. You know, they've done brain scans where they they look to see what happens when someone's just in a lighter sleep or someone's in a deep sleep. And what they see is that when someone's in those deeper levels of sleep, you know, stage four and REM, the lymphatic system just lights up. And what's the purpose of this system? It gets rid of debris in the brain. So we know that there's these proteins that get damaged that can be associated with neurological issues. Specifically, we've seen them in neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. And the lymphatic operation is to help clear a lot of these that have been created during the day by using that brain and get them out of the system to restore that brain to its health and get it ready for the next day. So could that be why sometimes when you aren't rested enough or you don't get enough sleep, you don't have that clearance in your brain, that you could actually feel a mental overwhelm? Absolutely. Like you're not taking out the trash, you're just adding, it's like when your compost bin starts to overflow and you just keep adding more and more stuff on it, it gets heavier and smellier and more moist, but <laughs> that's a different analogy. But uh, that you, you're not able to then feel refreshed and ready to create new things or take in new information or process your day in a more potentially realistic way where a little thing might cause you extreme stress and overwhelm where on a day where if you actually got enough sleep, it's just like, okay, this is a challenge. I address it and we move on from it. Absolutely. And what we're making a connection between here is actually the biochemical currents that's happening connected to, to our emotional well-being, which is something I you know, teach my students in my course in great detail about how there's this interplay between our mental, emotional, spiritual and our biochemical and physical. Mm hmm. And most of us think of them as completely separate symptoms, Absolutely. systems. rather. Yeah. Yeah. Another really important effect of the of our sleep is for our immune system. It's so yeah. critical for optimal immune health. You can't make up sleep. Did you know that? What do you mean? Like a lot of people think like, oh, I can, you know, burn the candle both ends during the week, but it's okay because I can get 12 hours of sleep on the weekend. Uh, but the effects on your immune system don't just suddenly go away because you, quote, caught up on sleep or had a sleep in. Right. And also, if you're on like hump day, which a lot of people call it, that's there's an issue <laughs> in there right, right, right there, which we could discuss maybe another time. Uh, you know, you come I, to when... Sorry, I was going to ask why Wednesday is called hump day, but... Why is Wednesday called hump day? It's in the middle? Be yeah, because oh. it's like you get over the hump. Okay. <laughs> so if people are deprived those first few days of the week... And then someone sneezes on them in public transit with a whole bunch of flu in their saliva. Well, <laughs> well I, that's you just described well, my worst nightmare. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> I am a self-proclaimed and proud germaphobe. That's when you're susceptible. And then they get to the weekend and that flu has already taken on full, full, you know, control of their body. It also explains why when people go on vacation, they're often going nuts beforehand, like working really hard to either wrap stuff up at work or get packed or get ready to go away. And then your second day on vacation, you wind up with a cold. Mm, it can happen. Or that someone who sneezed on you on the airplane while you were already deprived. Yeah. Well, there was a really interesting study done in the journal Sleep. That sounds like a thrilling journal that we should probably start reading before bed if we're having trouble sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about our favorite journals to fall asleep to. Our later. most boring things we've ever read to help promote sleep. What is the most boring thing you've ever read to <laughs> that you've fallen asleep to? Oh my gosh. Usually it's like, I would say those, those 
those long letters that come when you open like credit card accounts, like those things that accompany. Oh, like legal documents, legal documents. Oh, my God. Have you ever have you ever found me asleep before bed? Yes, frequently. Yeah, I I actually have a series of videos that one day I will have to share of me sort of tiptoeing in and watching him suddenly wake up in the middle of reading a book. Bonus materials. Anyway, there's this study done in the journal Sleep. They looked at 125 people, women and men, and they were looking to see what their uh, immune response was like. And they used the vaccines to try to figure this out. So they were inoculating them with the Hep B vaccine. And they were seeing if they were making antibodies to this vaccine over about six months. What What did they they find, Josh? What they found, Megan, was that those individuals that were getting six hours or less of sleep had a much lower immune response to this vaccine. They were actually 11 times more likely to not have made the antibodies to the Hep B. Hmm. So that's just one example of how we need sleep in order for our immune system to be able to ramp up and create antibodies to exposures of whether it's cold and flu, whether it's, you know, anything you're exposed to in your environment, bacteria, you know, anything that can give us either, you know, a basic illness. So sleep is so fundamental to that immune response. And like Josh said, if you don't get enough sleep Monday and Tuesday, and you're not catching up till Saturday, you're going to be at a depleted immune state for the entire week. Right. And I think it's it's pretty intuitive for most people that when you're sick, what do you do? You want to rest. You want to rest. Basically all you can do. Yeah, because your immune system takes a tremendous amount of energy to keep that thing running. And when you have the flu or the cold, it's just on like maximum operational, you know, operations, you know, to get to, to ramp up that system and deal with the pathogen. And before you then want to start sort of popping your 5-HTP or melatonin or other types of sleep supplements, the first step to resolving an ongoing sleep challenge is recognizing the root cause of why you're not sleeping. And let's talk a little bit about some of the, I mean, the common or widely recognized, I think, reasons people aren't sleeping are sometimes obvious. They're just not going to sleep early enough. They're trying to jam pack too much into their day and don't have that transition. So they're actually not just not getting deep sleep, but they're not even in their bed long enough to get a sufficient amount of sleep that their body needs. Right. And if we look at our ancestors, how did they get into that sleeping phase? Like, how did they get into the evening phase? Like, what did that look like for them? Well, it got dark out. So they, they put out the fire and went to bed. Pretty much. Yes. And what we're doing, and we're going to talk about sleep hygiene, rather than focusing on all the things we're doing that are wrong, we're going to talk about how to do it right. But oftentimes we're looking at screens, we're consuming stimulants, we're doing things late into the night that are inhibiting our ability to go to sleep. So one of the things that you guys have to recognize that we can't diagnose for you because we don't diagnose is recognizing the root cause of why you are not sleeping. And so that's what we're going to go through when we talk about the different factors that affect sleep. And rather than focusing on all the things to stop doing, we're going to look at the things we got to we got to start doing more of. And the first thing begins with sleep hygiene. This is the most important thing, recognizing that your bedtime routine actually starts as soon as you wake up in the morning. That's an amazing point. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, a big, going to be a big eureka for a lot of people because, you know, understanding that the whole day 
is connected, right? Yeah. Uh, so when we wake up in the morning, what happens? Well, tell me what should happen. Well, how does the morning routine affect our sleep? Well, we have a surge of cortisol, which yeah. is actually really good because it starts to get our blood sugar up and helps us to wake up and feel awake. The sun comes up, melatonin goes down. So we have this hormonal opposing effect where the melatonin goes down and the cortisol comes up. And then we need bright light into our, our eyes as we've touched on. We need those full spectrum lights. We need lots of what are called luxes. Luxes and not the kind you put on a bagel with cream cheese. Mm-hmm, which is challenging. I got nothing. I got nothing for you. I thought that was a really good. That was actually really good. <laughs> bagel and lux. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Which actually used to be a really delicious breakfast. <laughs> well, it's still a delicious breakfast. We just don't eat bagels and cream cheese. So anymore. you need luxes two ways in the let's, morning. Let's anyway, move on. on. Move on. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing, I know we're going to focus on what to do, but especially in the winter months, people are going from their home to an office without a lot of light. Yeah. So you got to get that light out. Some people in Toronto, there's a an underground tunnel where you could actually, in some cases, go from your condo building down into the underground shopping center onto the subway that will take you right through the tunnel downtown. You get out of the subway into a high rise building without even stepping outside. Yeah. And that's really going to affect your sleep. And also, you know, people get seasonal affective disorder in the middle of the winter and wonder why. And this light thing is a big piece of it. Yeah. So your morning affects your sleep. So from the get-go, get up, get out of bed. Oh, that's one other thing I want to mention is that if you are the type of person who doesn't get a lot of sleep and then you lay around in bed because you have the luxury of doing so, but trying to get more sleep, it can actually negatively affect your sleep cycle. So you wake up, you end up feeling more lethargic when you lay around in bed longer because you're not getting out and getting that bright light and getting into the natural cycle that human beings are intended to be in with that circadian rhythm, that bright light or the dia, you called it something, the in another diurnal. episode, diurnal pattern. Yes. The, and one thing I, I have to mention here is the snooze button. I hate the snooze button. You hate what aspect of it? Like, Here's what I hate about the snooze yeah. button. I, I'm not a snoozer because right. if I wake up in the morning, whether it's 5.15 a.m. or 6.30 a.m., basically once it's the morning, I'm up. Like yeah, yeah. my the, the sleep drive is so low. So when I had roommates or I remember at camp, I shared a room with the program director. I had to be the first one up in the entire summer camp and she would snooze for a half an hour. Ugh. It's like, just get out of bed. I feel Stop like the, I feel like the world is divided into two types of people, the snoozers and the non-snoozers. Yes. But just, you know, understand that if you're a snoozer, that amount of time that you're pressing that snooze button every nine minutes or whatever it is, if you didn't do the snoozing and just set your alarm to that much later when you actually gave yourself the amount of time to do the snoozing, you know, routine. You basically set your alarm get, clock for yeah. the time you're actually going to get Exactly. Up. You're going to get way more benefit and much deeper sleep. Right. And I think it was in the detox, the house rules episode, we talk about how we don't have alarm clocks and why. So, you know, remember this, if you snooze, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Okay. So that's how the morning rhythm and the circadian rhythm will impact your sleep. And 
Then there's the bedtime routine. So it's the flip side of that. So you have a cycle and hygiene or morning routine you do in the morning, and then you have your sleep hygiene or bedtime routine. And a few things that we highly recommend doing is that your bedtime routine, and we're not going to get into the lifestyle stuff yet or the diet stuff yet, but we will, but for just the bedtime routine, that it should start approximately one hour before you intend to turn out the light. So if one hour before you turn off all the screens, computers, televisions, iPhones or smartphones, whatever you're using, you turn off that blue light, you turn off that screen, and you actually dim the light in the room that you're in. So when we bathe our son, and it's so obvious in the things we sometimes do for other people. So now in the summertime, when we give him a bath, it's bright light out. But even in the winter, when we take him up to his bath, we did it with dim lighting. So we're already transitioning him into sleep. We would change him, put on his pajamas, read to him in the dimmest light possible while still being able to see the book so that we start to set his diurnal pattern, his circadian rhythm. And so we need to do the same thing. We need to start to dim the lights in our home or whatever room we're in. Optimally, you only have the lights on in the room that you're in for conservation reasons. And do or read something that helps you to relax. Like, so maybe it is a tea ceremony where you're making yourself a cup of herbal tea and we'll talk about those herbs, or you are taking a bath or you're doing some stretching or gentle yoga or different types of things that really help you to calm down. Journaling can be an activity you do at the end of the day so that you're resolving things that you might be thinking about or that might wake you up or have your mind spinning in the night. So you might want to journal those, write down some things you need to remember for the next day so that you don't have that repetitive thought happening. And you're really basically signing off on the day, closing up. One of the mantras I often use is my day is full enough because I can keep going and going and going. It's one of my own my own exercises I have. So my day has been full enough to shut down and move into that process of sleep. So one thing you can do is set a sleep alarm. So if your objective is to lights out by 10 p.m., which is a great time to have lights out, set that alarm for 9 p.m. You turn off your alarm, you turn off your phone, and you start transitioning towards your sleep. Getting enough sleep is like a gift you give to yourself for the next day. Yeah, it is. We often think about that too. When, you know, here in Toronto, as we're recording this, there was a major basketball game on and people were up all night. And I recognize that this is like a maybe once in a lifetime thing. Sorry if you're a Raptors fan. But uh, we often sort of weigh that. Like, is this worth staying up late for, knowing how it will impact our next day? Right. So another really important thing for sleep is movement. Yes. Right? So there's been multiple studies on this, and it shows that when you exercise during the day, the sleep quality is way better. Yeah. So we want to spend a good amount of time in deep sleep, which is our restorative sleep. It's not just about being asleep. We don't want to be a light sleeper all, all night long. We want to have good deep sleep because that's where the restoration happens. And again, it's pretty intuitive. If you exert more, you're going to be more tired. Yeah. Right. We see this in Finley, like the more he's running around all day, the more tired he is in the evening. It just yeah. makes sense. Let's take a quick pause in today's conversation so I can introduce you to Melissa Torrio. Melissa is a graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program and is one of our esteemed program coaches. She's also an Academy of Culinary Nutrition Certified Instructor. Melissa teaches kombucha and fermentation workshops along with healthy cooking classes all over the Toronto area. She has been leading the way in her community since the day she graduated. Here is Melissa to share a bit more about her experience in the program. Hi, 
I am Melissa Torrio, and I'm a 2016 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. The CNE program was truly a life-changing experience for me. I learned so much in such a short period of time. The knowledge and skills I gained empowered me to make better choices not just about food, but about overall health as well. The support of Megan, the coaches, the ACN team, and the entire CNE community was invaluable. The CNE program enabled me to pursue a different career, start my own business, creating healthy recipes and teaching cooking classes and kombucha and fermentation workshops in the Toronto area. I even became a program coach last year to help students successfully complete the program too. So if you're interested in taking your health and business to that next level, take the leap and check out the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program today. You can learn more and see Melissa's upcoming class schedule at melissatorio.com. We have a direct link to all she offers, including the amazing kombucha flavoring guide she created for the Academy over on this episode's show notes at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just click on today's episode. As I mentioned earlier, Melissa is also an Academy of Culinary Nutrition certified instructor. Now, this was a new opportunity that we introduced in 2018 by high demand from our graduates. We now have nearly 300 instructors around the world teaching classes that we put together just for this use. What's really cool about this is that often when you want to teach a cooking class, there's a lot involved. You have to create the recipes, test the recipes, plan the logistics, your shopping list, your prep schedule, student handouts, your speaking notes. That takes a lot of time. By offering the certified instructor opportunity, it allows our graduates who want to teach classes get to work straight after graduating. Now, if you'd like to learn more about becoming one of our instructors, please visit culinarynutrition.com forward slash certified instructor for more information. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. So, you know, I'm going to just jump in here and, and talk about some of the things that I've been doing to restore my sleep because they relate to these last two things of physical fitness and the glycemic index. Do you want to just talk about the glycemic index real quick? And then I'm going to share with you guys how I fixed my sleep issue recently. The glycemic index is a score we give foods that tells us how quickly a food ends up in our blood sugar. Yes. Okay. So foods that have a really high glycemic index, an example would be dates, millet, anything with sugar, right? Refined sugar. I mean, those are white bread, white bread, white white potatoes, things like that. They raise our blood sugar very quickly. And as a response in the body, we release insulin and we have a reaction to that called reactive hypoglycemia, where our blood sugar could then crash. So we end up on this blood sugar roller coaster where we're going up, we're going down, we're going up, we're going down, and we're constantly trying to chase that blood sugar. That's what happens when you have, say, your muffin and coffee for breakfast, and then by like mid-morning, you're starving again, then you have a glycemic effective lunch. And then mid-afternoon, you basically want to crawl under your desk and take a nap. Uh, And this can also be the pattern that has you waking up at four in the morning, feeling wide awake with your brain spinning. It's a response to that hypoglycemic crash. So what I did, because I was fed up with not sleeping properly. And the challenge I had after Finley started sleeping through the night is I was still so accustomed to waking up to feed him around three or four in the morning that I could not break that cycle. And so I committed. I was like, I need to resolve 
my sleep issue, which was becoming worse due to the fact that I was tired all the time. So because I was tired all the time, I wasn't exercising regularly and I was craving more sweet foods, more starchy carbohydrate foods. I was like, all day I would think about popcorn. And, you know, we all have those things we would go to. And so it became this really negative cycle where I wasn't getting enough sleep at night. I would be up for long stretches in the night. I'd wake up in the morning feeling tired and want to sleep in a little bit later. So Josh would sometimes take Finn and give him breakfast and I would try and get another half hour of sleep. Then I wouldn't have time to exercise. I'd be feeling fatigued all day. And then at nighttime, after dinner, we put Finn to sleep and I'd want a treat. And our treats are, you know, dried mango or a fruit or something like popcorn, but it was still something that was going to be a higher glycemic food. And that cycle perpetuated. And at some point this past winter, I was just fed up. I wasn't feeling good. I was tired all the time. I didn't feel like I was able to live my life fully. I wasn't creating new memories because I couldn't remember anything. And so what I committed to doing was exercising every morning or close to getting out in nature every day and going for walks. So even if I didn't get a good night's sleep, it wasn't an option to stay in bed longer or take a nap. So I had to get up in the morning when it was time to get up and then live my day and live an active day as active as I can when my job is primarily in front of a computer. And then I eliminated all sources of sugar in the diet. So I have, we have on on my website, the seven day no sugar challenge, which you're all invited to do and try. But I kept that going. So it was no added honey, maple syrup, coconut sugar. You know, we don't use white sugar processed or have processed foods. I cut out things like tortilla chips and organic potato chips that had crept in as special treats that seemed less special because they were happening more frequently. And no chocolate. I cut out chocolate. I cut out all, you know, glasses of the occasional glass of wine. And it was virtually instantaneous that I started sleeping through the night. And it was almost felt as miraculous as when Finley started sleeping through the night that I would go to bed around 10. I actually pushed my bedtime a little bit later. So I go to sleep around 1030 and I'll sleep straight through until like 6am, 630. And it's changed my life. I then wake up wanting to get up and feel great. I no longer crave or desire sweet things. I just, you know, they'll be served at the table or we're out for dinner. And I I just don't want to do it because I know what it will do to my sleep and how it will negatively affect it. And, you know, whenever we see the benefit or the result of our effort, for most of us, that's enough motivation to continue those patterns as long as they continue serving us. And in what I just explained, it checks off All of those things that are important for sleep hygiene. It's the morning routine, getting up when it's time to get up and doing something active. It's, you know, working with the circadian rhythms. It's having that bedtime routine to shut down with enough time to get to sleep. It's having that physical fitness and that exertion. And it's lowering that glycemic load of my daily intake throughout the day, avoiding all stimulants throughout the day that could have a negative effect on sleep. And it works. And and it can take time. It may not be instant. And not every night is, you know, a gold star sleep night, but it's moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of what we're eating and drinking, let's dive into that. Yes. How that can affect. Yes. Because this is a culinary nutrition focused podcast, culinary and functional nutrition. Absolutely. So we want to avoid stimulants during the day. 
Yes. Right? And obviously during the night as much as possible. So stimulants fall under the category of sugars and processed foods. But obviously the most used stimulant in the world and drug is caffeine. Caffeine. And that comes in many different forms. Coffee, obviously, teas, green tea, black tea, chocolate, yerbe mate. It's green tea, black tea, Earl Grey tea, orange pico tea, matcha. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to get that caffeine in. And yes, green tea has health benefits. It's got the polyphenols in it. But when we look at any food for its health benefit, sometimes you don't want the benefit from that specific food. So it's like when people talk about how high antioxidants are in red wine and the resveratrol, for some people, there's better ways to get that nutrient or to get those antioxidants from another source if the alcohol is negatively affecting your health goals. Right. And also, you know, there was a study done in 1995 where they looked at poor sleepers versus good sleepers. And what they found was those that were poor sleepers actually metabolize the caffeine a lot slower. They're slow metabolizers. Right. Yeah. So and they they're having a completely different response to that caffeine versus someone else who has no problem sleeping. Right. I love how Josh is like literally for you listening, he's pulling these studies out of thin air or maybe out of his crazy hair. Maybe he stores them in the follicles of the, the curls. Why are you giving away my secret? <laughs> but I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine, mm. but I, I still know that it's too stimulating. And even if I'm a fast metabolizer, it can have a cascade of different responses in the body that may not be directly due to the caffeine keeping me up, but it could be that it causes other things to be released that then create this cascade of reaction. So absolutely, if you are, you know, people always say like, is coffee really that bad for me? And I, my response is always that if you sleep really well, feel great when you wake up in the morning, have no hormonal balance issues, no anxiety or depression issues, then a cup of coffee once in a while is no problem. But very few people are consuming coffee just because they like it. Responsibly. Responsibly. Yes. They're consuming yeah. it because it's what gets them going. It's a recreational drug. Oh, heavy. Yeah. So just to wrap that point up, we want to avoid stimulants throughout the day. So if you're not sleeping well at night, that cup of coffee in the morning, it's got to go. Step one. Step one. Step one. So we talked a little bit about how important restorative sleep is, the deeper levels of sleep. And when we look at alcohol, it can help us actually get to sleep. Yeah. But we have lesser amounts of those restorative levels of sleep. Right. And it's not uncommon, maybe more common than we like to think that people are using alcohol in a self-medicating way, not just to deal with the stress of the day, but for that reason, to be able to shut the mind off and get to sleep at night. Absolutely. And I've had many clients where I look at their diet diary and sort of what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and they're having their coffee in the morning and their alcohol at night, mm -hmm. right? So it's like the cycle where they they haven't really nailed down their own circadian rhythms, their own natural hormonal systems and how they work naturally with the day. And they're using these chemicals to kind of force their body into those states. So coffee will keep us up all day-ish, though through the release of stress hormone, alcohol will put us to sleep, but not keep us deeply asleep. Correct. What else can we add into the diet to improve our overall energy stabilization. Right. Well, we talked a little bit about glycemic index. And the key point there is that we don't want to have a blood sugar crash when we're asleep. Right. So we want to find foods that have a low glycemic index and a low glycemic load. And one of the best 
categories of macronutrient that takes on that quality is fat. So if you want to have a snack in the evening, and also thinking about the dinner that you're consuming, you want to make sure that that dinner or that snack has a low glycemic index. So it doesn't raise your blood sugar too fast and a low glycemic load, which is just referring to the amount that you consume. In addition to removing all stimulants, increasing that fat load in the diet, the good fats, so donut doesn't count, but increasing those good fats in the diet through sources like avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, ghee, olives, avocados, nuts and seeds, certain types of fish. There's lots of great ways to get that good fat in, lower that overall glycemic load. But there's also foods that will promote serotonin. They contain the serotonin precursor, the amino acid called tryptophan. And I think most of us, when we hear tryptophan, we think of turkey. So people use Thanksgiving as the reason why after the meal they're laid out on the couch. But I actually think that has to do with overeating for the most part. So what other foods are rich in tryptophan? Right. We've got turkey, chicken, tofu, which of course would want to be non-GMO, yeah. organic. So any form of, of soy would be yeah. okay too. Yeah, like tempeh, it's uh, fermented. Yeah. Uh, spinach, asparagus, mm-hmm. those are all have high levels of serotonin and or tryptophan. And that tryptophan is eventually going to convert into melatonin. Yeah. When we have a lack of light and it's time in that day to start getting into the sleep phase. One of the key things when you're looking at the culinary nutrition and functional nutrition approach to sleep is not just eliminating all the stimulants, which we have to do, but there are, as Josh just mentioned, these healthful foods we can add in. And one last thing to remember about eating for optimal sleep is to try and not have your biggest, heaviest meal at the end of the day or not have it too late. So your body needs to digest and assimilate what you're eating. And I don't think anyone has ever had a good night's sleep when they eat a massive dinner and get straight into bed. You often end up with reflux and all kinds of other digestive issues because it's when your body is really shutting down and minimizing the metabolic efforts so that you can actually be in that restful sleep. So if you have no option but to eat dinner late at night, try and have your larger meal at lunchtime or earlier in the day. And so that at nighttime, if it is close to when you sleep, it's a lighter meal and more, maybe more of a snack so that you're not in a heavy digestive state when you're going to sleep at night. That's a great tip. And before we dive into some of the supplements and herbs that we could use, do you have any drinks that you would recommend? Yes, this is like an elixir, like the sleepy time elixir, a bedtime elixir, something that we love enjoying. So at around nine o'clock when our sleep alarm goes off, we don't actually have a sleep alarm, totally pretending, but it's our, it's our mental one. We have the discipline called Josh who makes us shut down at nine o'clock and I'll make us a beautiful elixir of homemade almond milk and warm it up a little bit and stir in some cinnamon and cardamom and we'll have it with a little bit of ghee or coconut oil. And the cinnamon itself is very, it's a soothing, it's a soothing spice. They're all very warming spices for the body. And it's sort of reminiscent, I guess, of, you know, in childhood having milk before bed. So this is a really great option. And this is great for everyone. So if you have a kid who wants a snack before bed, this is a good option, unless of course, they're in the early toilet training stage and you don't want them having extra liquid, but making sure that that evening snack has a good dose of fat and fiber so that you're not going to be spiking that blood sugar in the middle of the night. And this is just a nice way to wind down. 
Love it, Megan. And we'll give you this recipe. So we do have a cheat sheet for you with a few of our bedtime sleep elixir recipes over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and just check, click on the sleep episode. So Josh, you are the herbalist in the household. Tell us what herbs are good for sleep or common for sleep and maybe what what's good about them, what the challenges with them. Right. And different ones are good in different situations. So, you know, some of the most common herbs for sleep are called nervines or even have some sedative effect. One of the most popular sedatives is valerian root. Right. I had tried this one. It made me hallucinate. Not in the daytime, in the nighttime. And it also smells really bad. It smells so bad. <laughs> but it'll knock you right out. Some other herbs that... But this more... isn't one that you would recommend long term. No. And that's an interesting point that you're making. And I'm happy you brought that up because whenever someone isn't sleeping and need to take even these natural substances, we always need to look at the root cause. Right. Right. So we can still get into the problem with treating every ill with a pill. Right. And we're just using natural solutions instead. So these sedative type things are just treating the symptom, which is not being able to sleep, but not addressing the root cause of why you may not be sleeping. Exactly. But they can be very helpful in the meantime, and they're non-habit forming like some of the other drugs that are used. Uh, So valerian, just really good uh, as a sedative effect. Then we have some herbs that kind of help calm the nervous system, and that's passion flower, which is actually a beautiful flower. You know, if you've ever seen the actual flower, it's tremendous. And the fruit is delicious too. The fruit is really good too, passion fruit. So passion flower helps to kind of calm the nerves. It has some antidepressant activity, helps to calm the mind as well. Oat straw is what we call a nervine tonic. So it really helps to nourish and support the nervous system, especially over the long term. Um, we have other herbs like lemon balm and catnip. Which and lavender. Are, and lavender. You make a tea for me. Yeah. Tell me about the tea mix you made for me. That's kind of what Not I Not tell in. me, tell them. Yeah. Lemon balm, lavender, catnip. I just put it all in there, mixed it up, and I give you a nice strong brew of that. So what you can do, guys, is brew up. And don't worry about how much of each. Just It's fine. Just equal <laughs> parts of each herb are like, no, equal parts of each. You could brew up a tea and then use that tea, wait for it, to make an almond milk. So that water becomes the base of your almond milk. This is how you build an elixir. And then you add in those extra spices and you now have something very special to sip on in the evening. Yum. Yeah. Now, something we definitely have to mention because it's increased in popularity in a big way is CBD. Yes. So obviously, one of the active ingredients in marijuana, right, in cannabis, and it's just kind of like taken the world by storm, especially with here in Canada, the recent legalization of marijuana. Now, the the trouble with CBD is that we don't have really good long-term studies on a lot of people about how this stuff works. But on the other hand, we're getting a whole bunch of research coming out on this as well. And it does help calm down the mind a little bit. Yes. Helps with anxiety. Yes. And so we have been asked about this a lot. And my go-to response remains, it can be helpful for short term. But again, without a long-term large cohort study, that would raise some concerns, especially if you are young and using it regularly, but also that it's still not addressing the root cause of the anxiety or the insomnia or why you're not able to get to sleep. So these are short-term solutions if they are legal where you live, but they are short-term symptomatic solutions. But again, you always want to be having the discipline to modify diet and lifestyle 
as we've talked about plenty in this episode, what to do to get to the root cause so that you don't need you don't need these aids ongoing. A few other supplements that can be really helpful for sleep go by the name of firstly, 5-HTP. So 5-HTP is a precursor to melatonin, can make it into the brain a lot more effective than tryptophan. So it can be helpful for some people who have low levels of melatonin. So what you're doing with 5-HTP is, is skipping the step. Exactly. You're skipping the step of eating the turkey and the spinach, which has to convert the tryptophan to serotonin. And instead, you're taking something that that can go to get to the brain quicker. Exactly. And some people have trouble with that conversion or are nutrient deficient in specific vitamins or minerals that are needed to do that conversion. Right. Along the same lines, is you can go right to the source, melatonin. Now, the physiological dose of melatonin that we actually make is about 0.3 milligrams every night. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically, melatonin supplements come from about one milligram to five milligrams, and you want to get as close to the physiological dose as possible, but still get an effect. Now, this tells us if melatonin works for someone that they probably are melatonin deficient. And then again, we want to look upstream as to why that's happening but it can be helpful in the meantime. Yeah, we use melatonin when we travel. So if we're changing time zones, we'll take it for the first two or three nights in a new time zone, and then for the first two or three nights when we return home. Yeah, I love that. And it usually works a lot better going east because it helps you get to sleep quicker. Yes. And get your rhythms on. Now, a couple others that are really helpful for sort of calming the mind is one is GABA which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that we make naturally. But again, some people don't make enough of it to kind of calm down that really busy monkey mind. Mm -hmm. So that can be helpful. And then another one which really helps to calm the nerves is L-theanine, which interestingly enough is derived from green tea. So, you know, sometimes people say, oh, L-theanine kind of counteracts the caffeine. Well, you still don't want that caffeine in you. So you can take the straight up L-theanine, which is really great for calming the mind. Now, one of my favorite ones for sleep and one of the first ones I usually recommend is magnesium. Magnesium, most people are deficient in. It's a mineral. And it can really, again, help to calm the mind and also calm the body and calm our muscles and kind of get us a little bit more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so this is a great one that that I enjoy regularly because it also helps with, you know, Josh talked about calming the muscles. So if you are typically someone who may be a little more anxious or is exercising and feeling that muscle fatigue for longer than you think you should be, magnesium can address all kinds of issues. And because it's a mineral and it's naturally occurring in the diet, you can also look at those magnesium-rich foods. Yeah. And another thing to just throw out there, other than those magnesium rich foods, which, you know, we can find in pumpkin seeds and lots of nuts and seeds, actually, uh, and greens is Epsom salt bass, which we haven't even touched on in this podcast. We have not. Well, we we are now. So what are Epsom salts? Epsom salts are a magnesium rich salt. Exactly. It's magnesium sulfate. And what happens to that magnesium? Well, you soak in your bath and you probably are using way less. So buy magnesium or rather buy Epsom salt in massive bags. Use the Epsom salt in way bigger quantities than you normally would. Most people just put like, you know, a, a few little sprinkles of it. Use about a cupful. I use a little bit more, which goes with my nature. And and you soak in that. And that's absorbing into, you know, transdermally through your skin, your open pores. And that can be really beneficial. So if we were to describe to you an optimal bedtime routine, it's shutting out those screens 
an hour before bed, making a cup of that sleepy time elixir tea or adding in the almond milk and the other spices with it and soaking in that Epsom salt bath, perhaps with a few drops of lavender essential oil. And then going into your room with dim lighting, reading something non-stimulating like the sleep journals or legal documents (laughs) and shutting out the light for a restful sleep. And when it's time to get up in the morning, whether it's your alarm going off or your natural rhythm has you waking up, get out of bed, move your body, get some natural light and begin that cycle all over again with your low glycemic index diet. We did talk about herbs and supplements, which are beneficial for symptomatic relief to help you break that wake-up cycle or that challenge of going to sleep. Right, but they're not something that you want to take long-term. Like, it's all about looking at the root cause because naturally, we should be able to get to sleep, to maintain sleep, and to get that restoration from our sleep. Well, I hope we haven't put our audience to sleep with this episode, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you're using this podcast to get to sleep. (laughs) No, no, your phones don't go in the bedroom. Like house rule number one. We want to thank you guys so much for joining us. And again, we hope this episode didn't put you to sleep, but instead woke you up to some of the habits you might need to modify or new practices you'll want to add in to help improve your sleep and the sleep of everyone in your household. We have a full super sleep cheat sheet with a few recipes for you to download over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. That's where you'll find the show notes and all of the extra bonuses for this episode. If you are feeling inspired and perhaps want to start creating your own super sleep recipes or learn about how culinary nutrition can support an overall optimal healthy life, then join us in September. Registration is open. However, space is becoming very limited. Learn more about our 14-week certification program at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. We have an entire module dedicated to elixirs and herbal medicine that just might inspire you to create your own safe and natural sleep remedies. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you learn and start applying it in your life. If you have that colleague that shows up to work every day with those big bags under their eyes, perhaps you want to share this episode with them and maybe anyone else you think might benefit from this. Like that person you know who falls asleep in front of the TV every night? That's the one. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thank you guys so much once again for joining us. Have a great day and a good night's sleep. Good night.